You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Growing frustration tonight over the lack of transportation options as we head into the holiday season. It comes after the province hit the brakes on bringing in ride sharing by the end of the year. Jill Bennett is in downtown Vancouver right now. And Jill, the fear is that more people will risk driving drunk if there aren't other safer options. Exactly, Chris. And we know there certainly won't be more options this year than there have been in previous years. In many cases, there will be less. This, as some communities show, people still aren't getting the message when it comes to impaired driving. If you ask people, it's clear we want ride-sharing in B.C. If it's uh, going to be available in Vancouver, then it would be awesome, I think. I would definitely uh, take a taxi by Uber. Uh, definitely. That would help. That would make things a lot easier for sure. Even though there was a time when it was promised Uber and Lyft would be available by this year's holiday season, that was thwarted when the idea was referred for review. Organizations that have traditionally stepped up, I'd certainly want to encourage them to do that again. On the broader question of ride sharing, uh, that will not be in place at Christmas time. (laughs) On the top of Grouse Mountain, Operation Red Nose officially launched its 2017 season on the North Shore and just in time. So far this year in North and West Vancouver, police say they have taken 705 impaired drivers off the roads. That's up from 696 at this time last year. And it is all about planning. If you plan ahead, you're making a decision when you're in your best state for decision making as opposed to at a time when, you know, quite frankly, your decision making abilities might be reduced by whatever you've consumed. Operation Red Nose will be running in several B.C. communities this season. Volunteers work in teams, getting people who can't drive safely and their vehicles home. But the service has been cancelled in Surrey and Langley due to a lack of volunteers. It's very unfortunate. It really kind of put a hole in the whole uh, Operation Red Nose for the Lower Mainland. What are they going to do? You know, the possibility is they may get in their car and drive impaired. Because there are no other options. Many say that's where the system fails. A clear lack of options for getting home safe. And at least part of the answer is simple. Taxi or carpool, designated driver, but, you know, you need Uber. Concern, like regulatory concerns, it could probably be ironed out. But by and large, I'm in favor of it. Now, you're missing out with Uber. It's It's a great service. Now, we are expecting to hear more on ride-sharing in B.C. in the coming months, but there is still no firm date on when it might come to this province. In the meantime, the organizations such as Operation Red Nose are still very much in need of volunteers, saying they need as many as they can to make sure people get home safely this Hollywood season. Back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Jill. Alcohol is being investigated as a possible factor in a three-car crash in Surrey early this morning that sent four people to hospital. It happened at the intersection of 24th Avenue and Croydon Drive near Morgan Crossing. The area shut down for hours as investigators collected evidence. All three vehicles sustained significant damage. However, RCMP say there were no serious injuries. Breaking details now about a suspicious incident near a school in Richmond. RCMP say yesterday around 11.30, a 10-year-old student was allegedly grabbed on her arm by a man in his 40s or 50s. It happened near Whiteside Elementary. RCMP say the same man was allegedly photographing the area with his cell phone just prior to the incident. The man's described as Asian, 40 to 50 years old, 5'7 to 5'10, clean-shaven with black hair and a medium build. Police would like to speak with him, so if you have any information, 
Contact Richmond RCMP. A day after B.C.'s real estate watchdog promised changes to make purchasing a home in this province more transparent for buyers and sellers, calls tonight for another change to empower consumers. Right now, only realtors can see the full database of available homes, but some say there's no good reason that information shouldn't be available to everybody. For a lot of homeowners, the search starts at the multiple listings webpage. But what many people don't realize is that what you see here is only part of a much larger database, accessible only by licensed realtors. You can see uh, previous buyers, you know, numbers of times things have been sold, who it was sold to. The Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver is threatening to sue ThinkPoll, an online site that claims a realtor gave it access to some of that confidential information. ThinkPoll alleges that information reveals 25% of a prominent development was pre-sold to Asian buyers. But that information is unconfirmed, and the real estate board argues there's a real danger in simply releasing all data. It's simply to do the best for our um, sellers to facilitate getting their homes sold and getting access to their home. There's a lot of information in Realtor Remarks that is completely private. We had well over 100 groups come through. The bigger issue is that in a red-hot real estate market, shouldn't a potential buyer be given every chance to make an informed decision? Nova Scotia already allows the public to access all MLS data. And the Toronto Real Estate Board is appealing a competitive Bureau of Canada ruling that also agreed withholding data is anti-competitive. The reason that they're withholding this information is they don't want uh, the discussion to be out there. They don't want people to actually know uh, what is taking place, that people are buying and, and uh, speculating in, in British Columbia real estate. In B.C., it isn't that the full MLS database isn't available. It is, but only through a licensed realtor. You know, the real estate industry is concerned that the more information consumers have, you know, perhaps the less value they feel maybe agents can provide, and they're probably worried about the impact that might have on the real estate industry. Ted Chernaki, Global News. And the Premier was in Vancouver today speaking about housing affordability with the development community. As Nadia Stewart explains, attendees were hopeful the meeting would generate some concrete steps to increase a lower-cost housing supply in Metro Vancouver. They were the uninvited guests at the Urban Development Institute's luncheon. Housing advocates, some facing demoviction themselves. I don't have no place to go after this. If you hear us, I just call for the NDP to just create a new place for us. I am here for all the Burnaby residents, all the Amina Place residents, all the Sugar Mountain residents that we need homes. Protesters demanding the NDP government keep their election promise to build 114,000 rental and social housing units over the next decade. So it's reasonable, I think, for you in this room and people outside of this room to not expect a miracle after 16 weeks of a new government. But there were no promises today, just reiterations of the need for cooperation between government and industry. Governments don't build houses, the development community builds houses, and we need to make sure that the balance between an appropriate period of time to get permits in place, development permits in place, uh, we work with municipal governments to make sure that that time period is not so great that opportunities are missed. The Premier adding demand is still the toughest challenge, saying they need to curb speculation. We need to have a comprehensive response to this. Uh, Finance Minister James is working on that. Uh, We don't want to uh, solve a problem in one area and have it emerge in another. Uh, And that means, I think, a province-wide approach to this. For those protesting outside, the concern is the solution to their affordability problem 
won't work out for them in the end. We've seen this partnership before. We know that what comes out of it is gentrification, evictions, mass displacement, and homelessness. The kind of thing nobody, including developers and government, want to see. Nadia Stork, Global News. Well, Premier Horgan also met with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Keith Baldry is in Victoria with more on that. And Keith, they also touched on housing. Uh, they did. And the, the bromance continues, Chris, between these two political leaders. They had a very, I'm told, very productive uh, meeting, about 30 minutes, touching on a number of issues, housing included, that involve potentially Ottawa giving uh, Victoria, B.C. money to fund various programs and services in various sectors. Uh, Child care is one of them, housing is another. And the Prime Minister touched on some other common areas of interest between the two leaders. It's, uh, it's just a, a delight to be able to sit down and talk about uh, all the things we're working on together, from uh, housing to the opioids crisis to child care to uh, uh, protecting the environment and growing the economy together. These are always opportunities to, uh, uh, to chat. It's just really great to be uh, back home in B.C. and sit down with John again. Now, one issue that did not come up is a very important one. It's the looming legalization of marijuana, a very complicated situation. Ottawa has imposed a July 1st deadline on this to, for it to become legal. Puts all sorts of pressure on the provinces. I have a feeling they're going to be discussing this issue in subsequent meetings. One issue where the province is at odds with Ottawa is on Ottawa's suggestion, a proposal to have a 1% excise tax on marijuana and to take half the revenues, a position B.C. does not support. So good news today. We'll see what the next meeting is like. A complicated issue on many levels. Uh, thanks very much for that, Keith. Well, for many, just being able to afford to live in Vancouver, let alone buy a home, is a serious challenge. Today, the Fair Wages Commission kicked off the first of eight public consultations on how and when to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Jennifer Palma explains why doing so is a delicate balance. The cost of living in the metro area is expensive. Now imagine living here on our current minimum wage of $11.35 an hour. To collect thoughts and ideas about raising that wage to $15 is the Fair Wage Commission. And it started listening to concerns beginning in Abbotsford. About 25% of the labor force is making less than $15 an hour. So this is a very big, important thing for a lot of workers, but it's also very important for employers. The BC Federation of Labor wants to get to 15 bucks an hour fast by January of 2019, so BC can be in line with Alberta and Ontario. We need a minimum wage increase because currently there are 500,000 workers who, even if they work full-time, are earning poverty wages. And that is just not right. However, there are concerns from business owners. Take the food service industry. Already grappling with increasing property taxes and commodity prices, they say they can work with the increase, but it can't be too fast. Well, what's happened in the United States is that if you increase the minimum wage too quickly, you get technology will replace jobs. So particularly in the case of quick service restaurants, they'll use kiosks or you'll see restaurants reducing hours. The increase could also make it difficult for youth to find jobs. What we know from Alberta is that when the minimum wage started on its path to $15, the people who were impacted were young workers, those aged between 18 and 24. So we're concerned that we don't want the government to create a situation where there's a a loss of jobs for a generation of young people. But the BC Fed also wants to eventually see a living wage in Vancouver, which is $20.68. A number Tostenson says can't be rushed. The BC Federation of Labour are being irresponsible by calling for a $20 living wage 
I think that they're not being sensitive to small business, and I think they're playing to an audience of emotion. The commission's operating budget over two years is just under half a million. The first report is due by the end of this year. Jennifer Palma, Global News. TransLink is launching its double-decker bus pilot project on several long-distance commuter routes. Yeah, and it's really cool. You see, like, the whole city from here. The two new buses will begin service next week on routes traveling in from Langley, Surrey, White Rock, and Delta. The Transit Authority says it's exploring new options to better meet customers' needs and the region's transportation goals. And these buses are, are part of our solution uh, to crowding and to attract and retain ridership with a more comfortable and, in, in this case, kind of a fun, fun ride. As part of its 10-year vision, TransLink plans to have 32 double-decker buses for its fleet by 2019. The unsolved mysteries that keep investigators up at night. Turns out Vancouver has a high rate of unsolved violent crime. Why murder victims and their families have to wait so long for justice in just over a minute. A boy from B.C. invents a new word, what levodrome means, and why William Shatner has taken up the cause to get it into the dictionary. And the photo of a monster salmon, some say, can't be real. The fascinating backstory that proves it is, later on the news hour. But first, the news last week that charges had been laid in the brutal double murder of a Vancouver couple came as a huge relief to residents of the Marpole area. But a growing number of the city's homicides remain unsolved. Aaron MacArthur looks at how Vancouver compares to other regions in Canada and why big city police often have a tougher time solving homicides. It took a little more than a month, but VPD made an arrest last week in a September double murder in Marpole. The culmination of an intensive investigation. It was good old-fashioned police work, and it was people pounding on doors, uh, seizing video. But recently, a criminal charge is rarer than it's been. Murders in Vancouver can often go unsolved. According to the VPD, in 2016, the clearance rate was just 46%. According to StatsCan, the average between 2000 and 2015 in Metro Vancouver was just 61%. This despite a violent crime rate that's fallen over the same time frame. The clearance rate is lower than any other metropolitan area in the country. There are fewer murders per 100,000, uh, all things being equal, and police having the resources that they need, that those fewer cases should be solved more expeditiously, more effectively, when in reality it's the opposite. There are fewer cases, and then fewer of those fewer cases are being solved. Criminologists point to underfunding, or the redistribution of resources away from major crimes for the falling clearance rates. I think we've been trending in the right direction in most cases, but uh, certainly we're looking at this next budget as uh, a key time to make sure that the VPD has the resources that they need. Unsolved murders, one of the key reasons people give to support a unified regional police force. But even with a new government in Victoria, it's an idea that hasn't gained a lot of traction. Until such time as you know, local government says we'd like to explore it further, I think the key priority for us is to focus on those current integrated teams, ensuring they've got the resources they need. According to police, there are reasons for higher unsolved murder rates. Gang violence is harder to solve. And Crown Council only lays charges in cases that are likely to garner a conviction. It can mean cases with strong suspects never get to trial. But those reasons likely don't add up to nearly a third of all murders remaining unsolved. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. 
Some shocking video released by RCMP. Suspects in a shooting caught on tape. It happened at the Fairhaven Social Housing Complex on Skaha Lake Road in Penticton last Monday. You can see in the video two individuals, a man and a woman, walking into the parking lot up to a complex unit door. And then you see the man backing up and the flash of several gunshots. RCMP are urging anyone with information to contact Penticton RCMP a general investigation section. The number is 250-492-4300. Or if you wish to remain anonymous, you can call Crime Stoppers 1-800 number. The staggering reach of Russia's misinformation machine. An interview with the young man who once worked in what's essentially a fake news factory. And happy holidays. A Vancouver pop shop puts a new spin on the Christmas tradition. Lots of early snow in the mountains around B.C. has sparked some caution from the Canadian Avalanche Association. As Linda Ellsworth reports, even though it's too early in the season to issue official avalanche warnings, the association says the risk is already piling up. The snow has come to some B.C. mountains a bit earlier than usual this year. Great news for enthusiasts. But it's not all fun and games up there on the slopes and in the backcountry. Now is, is, it's a really good time to start thinking about avalanche safety, to start preparing for the winter if we're going recreating into the mountains. Avalanche Canada is dedicated to keeping people safe in the snow, whatever their chosen activity. They do it through education and forecasting the risks, which is a little early to do yet. We're going to start our professional avalanche forecasting on the 23rd of uh, November. So in, uh, in, in a, just about a week's time, we'll start to see avalanche forecasts. Even so, there are those too eager to wait. To them, this advice. It's time to start really making sure that you have the right equipment uh, ready to go. If you haven't already done so, put new batteries in your avalanche transceiver. And take an avalanche safety course. They're offered throughout this and other provinces. You can find them at avalanche.ca. And remember... If there is enough snow to ride, there is enough snow to slide. So, you know, it really does behoove people to understand uh, and think about avalanches, even in the early season such as this. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. An unlicensed Vancouver marijuana dispensary is pushing the boundaries of Canada's laws, and some might even say good taste, with its new seasonal product. Just in time for Christmas, Coast to Coast Medicinals is selling a marijuana advent calendar. The calendar is full of medicinal pot and marijuana edibles, and it can be customized for every, every customer. The dispensary says it's having a hard time keeping up with orders. We went from eight sales to 50 sales and then to 100 sales and then we got another 100 sales and then now it's just, I, there's still about 30 orders that we haven't even accepted money for. We're just trying to make as many as we can now and make sure we can fulfill the orders that we have now before we accept any more money. The calendars are shipped via Canada Post and while it may or may not be legal, the owners say they've had no trouble shipping within Canada so far. Well, a U.S. senator apologizes for inappropriate behavior. I remember I pushed him off with my hands. How Al Franken is responding after some damaging allegations coming up. And later, how doctors pulled off a rare and difficult neck transplant. The officer who gave his life is a hero. 
gathering to honor and pay last respects to police officer constable John Davidson. Special coverage on Global News and CKNW begins Sunday morning at 11.30. A rare inside look tonight at Russia's sophisticated social media propaganda machine. NBC News spoke to a young Russian who says he worked in one of the nerve centers where thousands of fake news stories were created. Is this it? This is the building? Yes, 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 of course. The troll factory. Yes. Tonight, a look inside Russia's disinformation campaign from 26-year-old Vitaly Bespolov, one of dozens of 20-year-olds churning out fake stories in what he calls a factory of lies. Did you create fake accounts? Yes, he says. Bespolov worked inside Russia's Internet Research Agency for three months in late 2014. He'd write up to 20 fake articles a day, spinning the war in Ukraine. That article would then be posted by a blogger and then be spread by someone in the social media department? That was one way, he says, or bloggers would write fake posts and he'd quote them in the articles. Facebook told Congress Russian trolls posted 80,000 items from January 2015 to August 2017, reaching more than 20 million in the United States. These troll farms can produce such a volume of content with hashtags and topics that it distorts what is normal organic conversations. We tried to ask about the alleged troll factory today. So what did he say? Oh, I would rather not know. <laughs> swearing, swearing. Uh, we were also told the business moved out over a year ago. So you believe that this operation was backed by the Kremlin? Absolutely, he says. Bespolov also believes it's still up and running. The Kremlin denies it, suggesting reports the factory even existed might be fake. Kelly Kovieja, NBC News, St. Petersburg. Democratic Senator and former Saturday Night Live performer Al Franken is the latest to be accused of sexual misconduct. Model and broadcaster Leanne Tweeden says Franken forcibly kissed and groped her during a USO tour in Kuwait in 2006. She also released a photo of Franken groping her while she was asleep on the plane returning home. I remember I pushed him off with my hands and I just remember I almost punched him and I said if you ever do that to me again I'm not going to be so nice about it the second time. Franken has released a statement apologizing and saying he's ashamed of his actions. He also says he will cooperate with any Senate investigation which even some Democrats are calling for. In Health Matters tonight a mumps outbreak at UBC Sauter School of Business. Vancouver Coastal Health is warning students they may have been exposed to the infection. Coastal Health says there are three confirmed cases at the school and it's urging Sauter students of all ages to make sure their vaccinations are up to date. Also tonight, surgeons in Poland are celebrating the success of a rare and difficult neck transplant. Doctors at Maria Sladowska Curry Cancer Center performed the surgery on a 63-year-old man who lost his larynx to cancer. The 11-hour transplant replaced his larynx, his throat, esophagus, and trachea, and restored his ability to eat, speak, even breathe normally. So far, he's healthy and hasn't rejected the new tissue. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Flicking the switch on the lights of hope coming up. And BC Boy teams up with a Star Trek superstar. I see that stalk spells parts backwards.
The word young Levi just invented and why William Shatner wants to see it in the dictionary. And the photo of a giant fish pulled from a B.C. river. How they caught it and what they did with it. Coming up. The story behind this photo of a giant salmon caught on the B.C. coast right after the weather forecast. And just before the weather forecast, Whistler Blackcomb is the latest ski resort to take advantage of the heavy snowfall of the past few weeks, opening tomorrow, nearly a week ahead of schedule. But increasingly, it seems, taking advantage of the deep powder takes deep pockets, and many families simply can't afford it. Aaron MacArthur reports. <laughs> it's a winter wonderland, and families are taking advantage of the village snow. Starting tomorrow, the lifts fire up at Whistler. It's not just 600 acres of skiable terrain opening a week earlier than planned. This might be the best start to a ski season ever. Uh, you ever seen a November 16th like this? Never. You know, and in talking with uh, some real old timers around, they've been opening these mountains for over 30 years and they've never seen anything like it. Whistler isn't the first to open, but it is the biggest and the most expensive. A mid-season walk-up day ticket could run $130. The resort urging people to pre-commit to multiple days. It's more money up front, but a cheaper per-day cost. We always encourage people, get out there, do your research, find out what deals are out there, and it's, uh, it's not as expensive as you might think. Even if people pre-buy, it's still a lot of money. And in a family of four, the price tag only gets steeper. But for families, there are options. Just up the hill from Oliver, Mount Baldy has come out of receivership with $55 day tickets. And kids' season passes for 25 bucks. It's hard to compete in terms of amenities, but harder still to argue with an affordable ski day. And we have very family friendly. Everything funnels back to the base of our, our two lifts. And we're very affordable with some of the best prices in BC. I heard 86 centimeters in 24 hours. On that, st on that storm, yeah. yeah. With snow in the forecast all week, Whistler is set for an extraordinary opening and what looks like a great season. No shortage of people willing to shell out for a day out on the slopes. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Tough assignment for Aaron. He hated every minute of it, you know that. <laughs> this year marks the 20th year. The lights of hope will brighten St. Paul's Hospital. Tonight is the big reveal, and that's where Christy Gordon is right now. Christy. Thanks so much, you two. Yes, it's always such an exciting time down here at downtown because it's a kickoff, really, to the holiday season. We'll be talking to Dick Follett, the president and CEO of the uh, um, St. Paul's Hospital Foundation, in a second. And, of course, we'll be lighting the lights and having fireworks. But first, we have had some rain. But it eased off just in time for this event. We're just seeing a few scattered showers out there right now. Still the possibility of it on and off, though, as we head into the evening hours. But overnight, it lightens up. And our Friday, everyone, is that break in between the two L's. So Friday looking pretty nice. Though as we head towards our Friday night, though, we've got another system set to push in, and that means rain for our weekend. And the low-pressure center we're dealing with right now is going to push east of the lower mainland this evening. So if you're traveling east of Hope, expect snow on the Coquihalla and Allison Pass overnight tonight. Could see about 10 centimeters. So it is definitely winter driving out there. And uh, if you're headed that way, I would wait till tomorrow late 
late morning to be able to uh, get out on those roads once again. Up into the north, periods of rain for the north coast. Uh, Prince Rupert will see a bit of snow before it changes to rain. Areas like Terrace could see 10 centimeters of snow tomorrow. Prince George, Quinell, a few flurries. And down through the south, really, you're in between systems tomorrow, so mostly dry, except for those eastern sections where you still do have a chance of flurries. Meanwhile... The south coast, I know you have some drops in these icons, but expect a mostly dry day tomorrow. It's just a chance of showers towards the end of the day when that next system rolls in. And really, we'll see the bulk of that moisture on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and then here's a look at our birthdays tonight. Uh, happy birthday to uh, Sun Ho Chu and Aiko Kokubo, Bo, uh, both of them celebrating birthdays in Vancouver tonight. So congratulations. Here's Dick Vallette. He's president and CEO of the St. Paul's Hospital Foundation. Thanks so much for being here. Always a pleasure to come down here. It's such an exciting time of year downtown. Yeah, it is. And thank you, Global, for coming down. You guys are great. Now, you've got a star here. What are these stars for? We always see them up on the display. Yeah, we have a lot of people who put stars up, family stars, corporate stars. And what they do is they raise money for the patient needs at St. Paul's. And these are needs that aren't normally funded by other programs, so it's a real essential, isn't it? Yeah, we call it enhanced patient care, greatest needs, uh, everything from the emergency department all the way to the Heart and Lung Institute. It's, it's everything in between. And people at home can also donate? Yeah, lightsofhope.com, absolutely. Yeah. An easy way. Uh, and uh, I think we're getting close to doing the countdown here, but uh, one more thing, um, uh, people can come down here uh, we, people can come down here and uh, check it out. We'll be doing the uh, fireworks. Are we close to doing it here? I'm. I thought we're. Are we getting close here? I think we can go for it now. Um, so let's count. Everyone, I'd like you to help out. We're going to be counting down from five. Ready? Five, four, three, two, one. Wow. So nice to see so many people down here enjoying this event. The kickoff to the holiday season is here. Lightsofhope.com is how you can donate as well. Thanks so much for being with us, Dick. Uh, always a fun night, and we're going to hold off the rain for at least another half hour while everyone enjoys. Excellent. 20th anniversary. Fantastic. $31 million. Thank you, everybody. Nice. Back to you, self and Chris. Thanks, Bill. I, I guess we can officially listen to Christmas music now. Nope. No, not yet? <laughs> People are already playing it. So yeah, we must do it. It looks great out there. All right, a picture of a giant salmon captured near Rivers Inlet is making the rounds on social media, and the story behind it is pretty fascinating. It sure is. The massive Chinook appears almost as big as the guys holding it. It was captured for broodstock last week to raise the next generation of fish at the Percy Waukes Hatchery. The Wanak and Kitsumkulam rivers are the only two river systems left in North America known for salmon this size. And the hatchery is helping preserve that special genetic trait. According to the Pacific Salmon Foundation, the fish weighed 62 pounds, that big one, but likely hadn't eaten in a couple of months and would have been closer to 75 pounds when it first went up the river. Amazing fish. They caught a fish this big. <laughs> uh. For real. And they actually For real. Did. It did not get away. Hi, Squire. Hello. How are you, people? Well, thank you. I'm Excellent. doing well, thanks. 
Excellent. Thanks for asking. Well, I like to, you know, I like to see how you guys are doing because I don't see you all day, and that's the only time I see you guys a lot of times. Got to sprint down the hallway. To I know. Um, so Vegas is in town tonight, Canucks of Vegas. But the other night, the Canucks got off to a bad start against the LA Kings, and then something happened. Just happened to be a boost for us, and it seemed like it, uh, it kind of swayed the game a little bit. Was this Derek Dorsett fight the Canucks alarm clock? Can a fight jumpstart a team? Plus, the word you never knew you needed. How young Levi got the attention of Merriam-Webster and William Shatner for his clever invention. <clears throat> so if what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, what happens when Vegas comes to Vancouver? It's... It's a, a riddle without an answer. I don't have enough time to answer that question. <laughs> it's a philosophical You do stuff question. in Vancouver, people usually hear about it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, we mentioned last night that because of injuries, Vegas has used five different goalies already this year. Tonight they will start uh, Maxime Legacy, who is technically their fourth-string goalie. The fifth is Dylan Ferguson, the kid from Kamloops we talked about last night. Actually born in Lanceville, it plays for the Kamloops Blazers. He was the one who finished up the game the other night against Edmonton. Now... The Knights were 8-1 with their first three goalies. They've been 2-5-1 since Legacy has taken over as the accidental starter. So does that mean that the Canucks are going to fill the net tonight? Well, the Canucks will tell you you never get cocky about these types of things. We don't know exactly what he's all about. And, you know, a lot of goalies have, have bounce-back games, I and mean, that's the way it is. And I'm sure he's a you know, true professional and can't underestimate him. And nothing really changes. I mean, if we're playing uh, uh, Carey Price or any goalie, I mean, it's it's virtually the same thing. I mean, you're putting pucks, you're getting screens and bodies in front of them, and if you do enough of that, uh, your pucks are going to go in. So uh, we don't deviate from our game plan, and, and uh, we stay consistent. You know that old joke, I went to a boxing match and a hockey game broke out? Well, that joke is so old, it doesn't apply anymore. Hockey fights are rare. So far this season... Only one in every five games has a fight. That's half of what we saw 10 years ago. But sometimes a fight can have a useful purpose. It changed the momentum of a game we saw the other night. Sometimes you see a, team's, a team wake up after a sluggish start because of a fight. As we said, we saw it the other night when Dorset had that fight in the game against L.A. Wojcicki's got the right three big time. This is the hockey fight getting all of the attention over the last 24 hours. A brawl between the Red Wings and Flames that, according to your point of view, was either exciting or ridiculous. But earlier this week, Derek Dorsett started a scrap moments after the Canucks gave up an opening minute goal in L.A. And that fight had some purpose behind it, to tell his Canucks teammates to wake up and get back in the game. When he steps up like that and... Um, tries to make a statement uh, it, get, it gets guys w woken up and um, I think he just did just that it got momentum on our side and after that we uh, we took control of the uh, game you got to have a lot of respect for guys that uh, that do that and, and uh, some he's done his whole career and um, you know play on his line I know kind of when he's uh, when he's kind of feeling that way and uh, I kind of seen line up for the face off that uh, he was kind of talking to the guy and you kind of know what's going to happen but uh, he did a great job Dorsett's done this thing in the past with the Canucks, but many times the Canucks simply didn't have the players to respond on the scoreboard. 
That's not the case this year, where Vancouver has shown the ability to come back in game. There she scores! There's that energy and that feeling of even if we're down, we have that sense that uh, we have a chance to come back. and um, That's something that maybe was missing a bit last uh, last year, last two years, but uh, right now it's uh, we got a good feeling for sure. Of course, if they want Derek Dorsett to last the season, it might be a good idea to play with the lead once in a while. Very delay, Global Sports. Well, you probably won't see Jake Furtanen playing tonight. That's three straight of him sitting out. Just when you think he has become a regular Canuck, he becomes irregular. Uh, Vancouver wants him to be more physical, and he has not been physical enough. Uh, and if when he gets physical, he'll get back in. But how would he prove that in practice? Why not put him in and see if he's learned to do that? I'm not going to put Jake in just for the better of Jake. It's, uh, it's a fine line between, like I've said before, between developing and doing what's right for an individual and doing what's right for the team. And there's something to be said about lessons and learning them. And we've had good communication when he gets his chance again, which he will, that uh, well, he plays, plays his game. The Western final in the CFL is another battle of Alberta, Edmonton and Calgary. Uh, most of this year, the Stamps were who we thought they would be, the best team in the league, one that rarely makes mistakes, but perhaps... Because they really had nothing to play for, in the final weeks of the season, Calgary started playing differently. They lost their last three regular season games and started making errors. Turn the ball over, they've had a lot of penalties. When you look at their last six games, uncharacteristic of their football club. And it's nice to see a team's not impervious to, to that. If when you do those types of things, which in football... When you don't protect the quarterback, when you turn over the ball and you have penalties, you don't win all those games. And they've lost three games by losing some of those battles. So, you know, they'll have to do better in that department, as will we. Uh, we fully expect to go in there and, and, and be good at taking care of the ball, be good at discipline. And hopefully, you know, we make enough plays throughout the entire course of 60 minutes to beat them in their, their own barn. Steelers and Titans tonight. Ben Roethlisberger going to his favorite guy early. Antonio Brown in the end zone. Touchdown. That gives the Steelers the early 7-0 lead. That was 41 yards worth, but Marcus Mariota. He can run again. His legs are feeling better. Hamstrings better. Gets in. Just breaks the plane of the goal line. At last check, Steelers up 10-7 in the second quarter. The American League MVP award came down to a battle between the big man and the small man. And the small man won. 5-6, Jose Altuve of the Houston Astros got more vo votes than second-place finisher Aaron Judge of the Yankees, who is 6 feet 7 inches tall. The National League MVP was uh, Miami's Giancarlo Stanton. There you go. That's what a photo of you and I standing. That looks, would be looks like. exact, almost exactly the all, same. Yeah, pretty close, is it actually. That different. <laughs> pretty yeah, close. Well, between you guys, yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Pretty, pretty much. All right, here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11. Thank you, Chris. We've told you about a BC woman with a rare disease who needs medication that costs $750,000 a year. Tonight, we speak to the family of a five-week-old boy who is dealing with the same disease. Harbor Justice Reimer is currently at BC Children's Hospital, undergoing interventions to try and save his life, waiting to potentially receive the medication. It's believed Harbor is the youngest person in the world dealing with AHUS. We'll hear from his parents tonight when you join us at 11. Sounds good. All right. Thanks very much, Jay. 
Captain Kirk throws his support behind a BC Boys campaign to add a new word to the dictionary. That's coming up after the break. And as the weekend approaches, it's time to start pre-registering for events. With that in mind, here's Kasha Badurka with five things to do this weekend. Kasha. So true. Thanks. Let's begin with the 34th annual Britannia Christmas Craft Fair. That's three days of getting into the spirit with entertainment, locally handmade gifts and treats for a small fee of $2, which goes to local charities. Saturday, discover wonderful woodpeckers at the Francis King Regional Park, Victoria. You and the kids wouldn't want to miss this fun and free guided walk. It starts at 1030 at the Nature Center. Now, if you're more into the party scene, it's Family Glow Night in Kelowna, a free dance party with games, a DJ, and lots of glow fun. It all kicks off at 6 p.m. Saturday night. Now put away the new media and bring the kids to the Magic Lantern Show at the Coquitlam Heritage Society's Mackin House. Enjoy refreshments and a presentation that has you time traveling through the use of the Magic Lantern. Registration is required. Now it's all about the kids ages 6 to 12 at the 11th Annual Surrey Kids Conference. A fun and inclusive event where kids learn everything from managing stress and making healthy life choices to break dancing, volleyball, and much more. It's free, but registration is required. For more on these five things, go to globalnews.ca slash five things. This program is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners, plus get the best roadside assistance. Victoria's second grader, Levi Budd, is a pretty smart guy. For example, he's the kind of kid who would notice that smart, spelled backwards, is trams. I'm not even sure I got that. <laughs> he also recently discovered there is no official term for a word that is something else smelled backwards. So he invented one. And now levodrome might end up in the dictionary with some help from sci-fi icon William Shatner. Nitu Garcher reports. Dad, I just thought of another great palindrome. Levi Budd is obsessed with words. He taught himself how to read when he was three. Especially palindromes, words that read the same backwards and forwards, like mom, dad, and race car. He loves reading. He's super interested in language. So it's no surprise the second grader thought up a word of his own, and it all started with a stop sign. Mom, I see that stop spells parts backwards. That's not a palindrome. What do we call a word like that in English language where a word spells another word backwards? Unable to find an answer to the six-year-old's question, Levi's parents contacted Merriam-Webster. They were the ones who said, you know, one of the words that we're keeping our eye on is imordinalap, which is palindrome backwards. But that word isn't in the dictionary, so this young Victoria boy came up with a name of his own, a Levi-drome, or as his parents pronounce it, a levidrome, used to define words like tip, when read backwards, becomes pit, or lap, which becomes pal, and stop, which becomes pots. This is when the bud started asking, how do you add a new word to the dictionary? Merriam-Webster says the answer is simple, usage. The more popular a word, the more likely it is to be included. That's why the family created this YouTube video. It just went boom right away. The fact that we're nearing 10,000 views within a, you know, just after a month is pretty incredible. Their project even catching the attention of William Shatner, who tweeted and emailed Oxford Dictionaries. 
Industries. I was just, you know, going on Google and I found his endorsement and I thought this is really amazing. And there are schools all across Canada that have been sending us boards of Levodromes and they're getting kids talking about language. Levodrome has already been added to UrbanDictionary.com and to the Merriam-Webster Online Open Dictionary, which features user-submitted words. And even if Levi's goal to fill a hole in the English language isn't met, his dad says it's already a mission accomplished. We're just trying to model if you have a good idea, follow it. You got nothing to lose, really. Need to Garcha, Global News, Victoria. Way to go, Levi. Another Levodrome? Rats, which is star. Oh, yeah. And there are plenty of those down at St. Paul's Hospital right now. You are a wordsmith, my man. Well, I get it from you. Christy Gore.